Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where it's the 1980s and cool, sexy California teenagers have a lot to be thankful for, but that doesn't stop them from driving each other crazy. Like, literally crazy. Book number 20, Crash Landing. Will Elizabeth lose her best friend? Hi, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I am your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is Lauren Shippen. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Um, so I am Lauren Shippen, as Marissa said. I make a podcast called The Bright Sessions and a couple of other things. Um, and actually, Marissa and I have known each other for many years Yeah. because we sing in church choir together. Sing in church choir. Yeah. Um, happy Thanksgiving to American listeners. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to like prepare some kind of Thanksgiving hymn, or there's really just the one. Yeah. Thanksgiving hymn, the, like, we gather together or something like that. Something like that. We gather together, too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't, so. Well, also, we're the same voice part, so it's like, you know, just sing sing the the alto alto line, which in hymns is usually the least interesting line. (laughs) Yes, sometimes. Sometimes we get some Sometimes there's some interesting things, but, Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here as my friend Lauren to talk about this book. And as a podcast producer, I acknowledge that you're quite a git in the podcasting world. <laughs> I try. I try, you yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I want to start out uh, by talking about the cover of the book. Yes. Um, the cover, Crash Landing! Exclamation Point. Very dramatic. Um, and it's worth noting, although this wasn't by design, the previous Exclamation Point cover was 13, Kidnapped, on mm-hmm. which my guest was... Misha Stanton, my sound designer for yes. The Bright Sessions, which is wild. Just a very small world. It is a small world, and uh, just a, it's really just a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you two were the Exclamation <laughs> no Point people. Although I'm going to maybe have to try to get, like, a Bright Sessions universe people, maybe for all the th- Exclamation Point. I think, point. yeah, I think you have to now. I think it's, I like, canon within the yeah. Sweet Valley Diaries universe. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I might have to ask for your help with that, but I don't know when the next Exclamation Point book is. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see the percentage of, of Sweet Valley mm-hmm. books that have Exclamation Points. Mm-hmm. I do think that this one's earned, I have to say. I agree with you fully, yeah. and um, for starters, we have uh, the very special cover of this book. Yes, very... Very Renaissance painting-esque. Yes. So Elizabeth Wakefield looking frightened and staring into the distance while cradling Enid, uh, what's her last name? Enid Rollins. E- Enid Rollins, um, who is seemingly unconscious, but otherwise unharmed in this in this picture. Uh, but yeah, very, very dramatic. She's got, Enid's body is like lifeless. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't know, you might think that she was just asleep, except Elizabeth's face is so worried. Yes, that- she's very afraid. Um, incidentally, this does not take place in the book, this moment. Nope. So I was thinking um, earlier that this is kind of like a metaphorical representation of mm-hmm. what this book is all about. Right. It's like a lot of Elizabeth trying to care for her friend after this like horrible accident that happened in the first yeah. two chapters. And she's looking out into the distance with this feeling of like dread of the mystery, the unknown that's out there. And, and internally... Enid has a lot of mystery that's going on. Yeah. What's happening with her? Well, it's like she's trying to protect Enid from the world, which is sort of what she's doing in the book, of like trying to protect Enid from like the reality of her situation in a lot of ways. Yes. So yeah. that situation is pretty exciting. It is. <laughs> the book starts 
even a little bit before where last book, uh, number 19, Showdown, it was called, uh, ended, um, they, Elizabeth, Jessica, and the, at all, her family were in a, the police station, I almost said in the prison, but that's not right, in the police <laughs> station, and they were hearing a radio report of a plane going down over Seca Lake. We go back in time a few minutes, and mm-hmm. George Warren, Enid's mm-hmm. boyfriend, is flying her in his plane. Yeah. 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 And it turns very bad very quickly. Uh, we're, we're sort of in George's perspective, and he's, like, just graduated flight school, and he had promised to take Enid up into the plane. Um, and he's also uh, trying to break up with her. That's right. Because he's in love with Robin. Um, he's in love with Robin Wilson. Yeah. And I cannot think of a, a worse place to break up with someone than a plane in the air that you are piloting. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a bad idea. bad choice. (laughs) And it becomes clear, like, it must be obvious to George right away what a bad idea this is. Yeah, you'd think. Because Enid is like, wow, this is so great. This is so special. It's so memorable. Look how beautiful. I'm so grateful that I get to be the first person up in the air with you. That's really meaningful on your Mm -hmm. first solo flight. And it's so romantic. And it's like, no shit, dude. And he's, like, the entire time agonizing over like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to say it? And mm-hmm. it's like, I can understand wanting to, A, carry through on this promise to Enid of taking her up in the air, and then B, like, wanting a nice sort of final memory. But, like, wait till you get to the ground to break up. Like, don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't try to, don't assume that you're going to have this conversation in the plane while it's flying. Yes. And, of course, they don't get to have that conversation. So if there are any listeners who did not listen to episode 19, Showdown, um, George and Robin we found out that they fell in love in that book, but only mm-hmm. Elizabeth Wakefield knows. Right. And that's still true, although Robin broke up with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. Alan Walters. Um, I don't know. I don't think it makes clear whether or not she even told Alan who she, like, why she's breaking no. up with him. No. The book doesn't tell us. No. Alan is, like, mentioned thrice and then never, never heard or seen from. It's almost yeah. as if he doesn't go to Sweet Valley High, but yeah. he does. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to read just a little bit um, to ground us yes. in uh, what's going on internally with George. George had never met anyone like Robin before. They had so much in common. He could tell her everything. Her passion for planes and flying was as great as his. She was the first girl who'd ever understood his dream of becoming a pilot. At first, George had refused to admit that the feelings he had for Robin were growing beyond casual friendship. When he did realize what was happening, he tried his hardest to stop it. He left flight class early so he wouldn't be able to talk to Robin at all. He avoided her eager smile and made excuses when she asked him for help on take-home preparation material. But when they were paired on their first flying assignment, George knew it was all over. He had fallen in love, and there was nothing he could do about it. Which you don't buy. (laughs) No, I... Yeah. So, as we were discussing earlier, I think that it's a little bit bullshit that George Mm. is, like, washing his hands of any responsibility in this whole situation. I think... uh, Yeah, I think that that's valid, but I also think, like... He tried not to fall in love, and, like, sometimes you can't help who you fall in love with, yeah, you know? Uh, and then, like, they decided to do the right thing and break up with their significant others yeah. and be together. And, and, like, you know, I think it's it's a it's a tough spot to be in. As I was reading this book, I just had to keep reminding myself that, like, okay, these are teenagers. These are teenagers. Yeah. They're not married. Like, just because you ship 
Enid and George doesn't mean that like they need to stay together forever. By the end of the book, they definitely should have broken up. Well, and I, this is my first Sweet Valley High book, and so I had no like preconception about George and Enid. Like I was really, I was really rooting for George and Robin to work it out. Yeah, Uh, and because the first thing that you get dropped into in this book is George agonizing over breaking up with Enid, and then. The plane crashes, and so he doesn't do that. Yes. So <laughs> the plane crashes. They he talks to air traffic control. He's able to like crash land the plane in not, the lake. In the lake, Lake Seca, Seca Lake, I guess it's called. And it doesn't really exist. So whatever. <laughs> um, and Enid is able to kind of like free herself from her seat and like swim around, but George is unconscious. Yeah. So Enid, like, actually saves George. Yeah. And in the process, hits her spine on, like, part of the plane and gets paralyzed from the waist down. So <laughs> yeah, this is, like, the first two chapters of the book. It's very dramatic. It's a bad spine bump. Like, yeah. I don't know what she was doing with it on that plane wing. But hit she it the wrong way. Yeah. And it's like when you hit, knock your elbow and it really, really hurts. It's, like, just the wrong angle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're screwed. So ambulances come to Seca Lake, get out stretchers. Both people are put in the hospital. Robin Wilson, who was down by the lakeside with some other teenagers, people eating picnic dinner and stuff. Mm -hmm. or I don't know what time of day it is. This day's been going on for ages at this point. Uh, Because it was also, in the last book, a lot of action was happening. And it has to be, like, at least late afternoon. Right. Uh, Then Robin, when she sees George put in the ambulance, faints. Yeah. Because the man she loves is in danger. Yes. And she can't comfort him. Yes. It's a reasonable reaction. However, it is a problem for Robin because people see and hear that she fainted. Yeah. And nobody's putting any pieces together yet. It was a dramatic situation. Anybody could have fainted, right? You or I would have fainted for sure. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I see a plane crash into a lake, I... I mean, yeah, I get get very worked up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm, like, joking about it. I'm sure I would be really upset. No, it would be very, very upsetting. I would be... Well, there are people who just, like, faint at the sight of blood. Mm. I'm not one of those people, but it does happen. That's true. That's true. I'm not one of those people either. Yeah. Uh, But even though Elizabeth is the only one that knows about Mm -hmm. George and Robin, George's attempt to kind of, like, cut this information off at the pass uh, runs into a bit of trouble. Yes. It's worth saying that everybody kind of comes to the conclusion that George cannot break up with Enid. Yeah, because she's in the hospital, she can't move her legs, it's not a good time. So George goes over to Robin's... George, it should be said, walks out of the hospital. Yeah, he's fine. Couple stitches. Yeah. Enid... Paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, her spine or something is, like, swollen. And in, in, until the swelling goes down, they can't, they don't know if they can operate or not. So yeah. she might be paralyzed forever. Who knows? For, like, from the waist down. Yeah. Uh, and then um, there's a lot of talk about how Enid will, like, never be able to recover if she doesn't have George's love. Mm-hmm. Everybody is kind of in agreement about this. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody being Elizabeth, George, and I guess Robin. And Robin, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Jessica, innocuously, Jessica doesn't know anything about this, yeah. but she and Lila need to go by Robin's house to tell Robin that uh, there's been a change with the cheerleading Cheering schedule. Which, like, why couldn't they just call? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, would you be willing to read yes. the part of Lila in a little passage... Where they drive by Robin's house. Yes, here we go. Alrighty. Did Kara tell you that Robin broke up with Alan this weekend? She added a moment later, backing the car out of her parking space. You're kidding, Jessica said, unwrapping a stick of gum. 
What for? I thought they weren't crazy about each other. Some other guy, Lila said with a shrug. Kara only found out because she's Alan's lab partner in chemistry, but he wouldn't tell her who the guy was. Kara figures he doesn't know himself. Hmm, Jessica said thoughtfully. You don't suppose... Don't suppose what? Lila demanded. Jessica shook her head. Never mind, she said. Hey, slow down. You're going to go past it, she warned. They had just come to Robin Wilson's house, and Jessica's eyes narrowed as she saw the light blue GTO in the driveway. She'd know that car anywhere, Jessica thought uneasily. It was George Warren's. And there was George walking down Robin's front walk toward the driveway. Never mind, Lila, Jessica said. I can tell Robin about cheerleading later. Let's get out of here. Yeah, so Jessica makes, like, a whole bunch of assumptions from here. She makes some real hay. <laughs> yeah. And I knew, I made a note in my uh, Kindle edition of this book that just says, uh-oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, she goes home and tells Elizabeth about this. Yeah. Elizabeth is pissed at George. Yeah. They're basically all assuming George and Robin are canoodling. Yeah. Uh, behind Enid's back. Which is, I think, a very unfair assumption to make. It's like, you know, get all the facts first. George could have been over there for some innocuous reason or to break up with Robin. Like, you know, they don't they don't know. It's super unfair and it's not true. Like, not only was he there to break it off with Robin yeah. once and for all, but also he doesn't even do that. No, she wasn't there. Because she's not home. He has to break up with poor Robin over the phone. Yeah. he chooses to. Well, and she is in agreement because she's also a good person. I'm really, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for George and Robin. I really am. I think I, I I really feel for Robin. George, yeah. I'm a little bit like, come on, dude. You you were he was being a coward. He by was waiting. being a coward. Yeah. yeah. He waited too long. And, and then he feels very guilty as he should. I mean, maybe I'm mad at George because I feel like if I were in George George's position, I would probably do the same thing. Like I like, <laughs> oh well, I'm gonna pick up some arbitrary reason why I can't do it yet. Yeah. Because it would be too much. I awful. made this promise and yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Robin then gets ostracized by everyone, basically, because Elizabeth is ignoring her. Jessica doesn't tell her about cheerleading practice, and she's just out in the cold for, like, most of the book. Yeah. Now, listeners or readers of the series uh, will remember that Jessica is a bitch to Enid always. Like, Jessica thinks that Enid is boring. That's, like, her main complaint about Enid. But think about that, listeners, and you will be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together as to why Jessica suddenly gives a shit about Enid and whether she's being treated well. Mm. Enid is no longer boring. Yeah, Enid that's true. Enid is being cheated on and was paralyzed in a plane crash. Yeah. So Jessica... A lot of good drama. Yeah. Jessica wants Enid to, like, have... All of the attention now, <laughs> and is very concerned. So she is like Cold War. Like that's going to be the tactic. Yeah. She says it several times. When Robin try, they, they keep changing cheerleading practice and not telling Robin. Yeah, it's so awful. Meanwhile, Robin is um, eating ice cream yeah. and brownies like a mad woman. Oh, who could psychotic? Who could imagine <laughs> eating dessert? Oh my god, never. There's this weird line where she says. No, Robin, you know, it took you so long to lose the weight, you can't gain it back again. And I call bullshit on that, because it took her, like, two weeks to lose that weight. Well, and then she gains 10 pounds in, like, four days, and then everybody comments on it. And, it's, and like, in their head, they don't say it to her face, but they're like, oh, Robin is looking like she, like, gained a little weight. And it's like, leave that girl alone. Yeah. She's been through a lot. And, like, that's not, oh, man, there is a lot in here. So Elizabeth is usually uh, a very, I don't know how Elizabeth came across to you in this book, it being your first oh, book. Oh, like a sociopath. 
<laughs> okay, all you, all you Elizabeth haters out there in the listening world, we've been waiting for this to happen for 20 books now. Someone gets a bad impression of Elizabeth. She comes out like a complete crazy person. <laughs> I am 100% on Jessica's side for most of this book. Okay, so this is something that is very interesting. Normally, I would be like, oh my god, Elizabeth forever. But in this book, she makes some weird choices. She makes and, some very weird choices. And Jessica is very is sympathetic for some other reasons that we'll get yeah. to soon. Uh, but, yeah, um, Elizabeth is also mean to Robin because she she believes Jessica's story, kind of, yeah. that, that Robin... And she's so close to Enid that she doesn't well, really want to be friends with the person that's, you know. Yeah, that's hurting her friend. And, like, that I totally get. Like, Elizabeth being cold to Robin and being mean to George, like, all of that I understand. Because you got to stand by your friend, right? It's what she does to Enid that is completely insane. <laughs> okay, okay. So that's going to that's gonna take us to the end of the book. So yeah, we'll work we'll, our way we'll, there. Yeah, we'll wait for that. As you were saying, like, oh, yeah, I understand Elizabeth's behavior, it suddenly clicked in my head, like, oh, I know what you're talking about that Elizabeth does. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's wrong on a number of levels. On so many levels. <laughs> also, I mean, just the Wakefield household is kind of a nightmare. Okay, this is let's let's move over to the B story for a yeah. second. Um, a story, we'll we'll put it to rest for a moment. Enid is paralyzed, but she is going to be able to have surgery so that she will eventually be able to walk yeah. if she goes to PT. George is staying with her and is racked with guilt. I mean, that's basically the whole yeah. A story. Ra- racked yeah. with guilt, and Enid can kind of tell that George has been weird. Yeah, and is starting to blame herself a little bit about George's weird behavior. Yeah. Um, so putting that aside for a second, um, Jessica is taking a cooking class. She is, with a hot French teacher. A hot French teacher. It was a Lila's idea. Mm-hmm. Lila and Jessica make up in about five seconds after some drama from the previous book. Okay, gotcha. Did, did you notice that scene? It was like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, mad at each I, other. I, yeah, there, I noticed like some degree of sniping, but it seemed so in passing. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, this is just like what high school friendships are like sometimes. In the last book, they were both in love with the same boy. Ah, gotcha. Um, deeply in love, in fact. But he ended up being a violent criminal. So. That's right. The whole thing with a knife. Yes, that is referenced very, very much in passing in this book. And I was like, oh my god. Oh, as is Elizabeth's coma. Yes. Yeah, just dropped in there, peppered in, amongst other things. The book says that she can never enter the hospital without thinking about her coma. Yeah. Um, which is nice to know that she hasn't forgotten about it, because sometimes it seems like she forgot that she was in a coma. <laughs> Nobody mentions her kidnapping at all. It's been a weird year for the Wakefield. Seriously. Uh, so Jessica loves this French guy. Yeah. But also, she is thinking, like, wait a second, my parents' anniversary is coming up. Mm-hmm. I could actually be the good twin for once by making them a special dinner. Yeah. Which is a lovely thought. It is. It's a, especially for Jessica. Yeah. It's like a really big thought. Yeah. And it's like, some of it is like pettiness over wanting to one-up her sister, which like, you know, that happens. Especially but, with twins, it probably happens a lot. But also, then when her parents talk to her, I'm like, no wonder she's seeking their approval. They are terrible to her. They really are. So what are the things that happen? <gasps> First of all, Elizabeth cooks a special dinner for... Um, Enid yeah. and George and and Elizabeth and her boyfriend Todd spaghetti yeah. dinner and she decides that even though it's against the rules to leave a pot in the sink she is going to leave the spaghetti sauce pot in well, the sink. Well, she has to get Enid home because yeah. she's paralyzed. I'm like that's that's very fine. reasonable. Yeah, very reasonable. Nobody else is home. Yeah. 
Later on, Jessica gets home. Then the Wakefields get home. Mm -hmm. The Wakefields take one look at this pot, the parents, and they come yelling at Jessica about how she fucked up. Yeah. And it's... They don't, like, they don't act, like, there's no, she's so, like, guilty from, like, you know, moment one. And that's not, like, the only time in the book that they, something goes wrong in the house and they just, like, instantly blame Jessica. No. I, like, the Wakefields are bad parents. But the, they haven't, the bad wake, bad parent Wakefields haven't reared their head for a number of books. So it was about time for this to happen again. Okay. The worst thing of all to me, like, I actually really feel for Jessica, and I never feel for Jessica, <laughs> as uh, longtime listeners can attest. <laughs> She has this plan. She's actually pretty good at cooking. Yeah. And we as the readers get to see that. Yeah. But when she cooks this meal for uh, her parents as like a test run for the anniversary, she makes, it's a rookie mistake. Yeah. an advanced rookie mistake. Yeah, she's making this, like, essentially like a bouillabaisse. It's kind of like a seafood, seafood thing. stew. Um, and she doesn't realize that if a mussel doesn't open when you cook it, it's bad and you have to throw it out. And so she pries open these mussels and feeds her family bad mussels. Yeah. And they all get really sick. They all get really sick. And that's awful. And that's yeah. sad. And, like, okay, Jessica, uh, you learned your lesson. Yeah. You weren't ready for that yet. Except that's not their attitude. They will not shut up they about will, this. They keep making fun of her for it. And it's, like, it's in such a way that they're, like, like, oh, you purposefully poisoned us? Do they make Which so is an insane thing to say to your daughter. They make so many jokes about how she gave them food poisoning on purpose. And when she says, like, okay, I'm sorry I made that mistake, but I'm going to make it up for you next time. Or, like, yeah. anytime she offers to cook again, they're like, whoa, I'm still recovering for the last time, sweetie pie. Yeah. It's, it's like, so awful. It's and, really of course, sad. Elizabeth gets them tickets to a dinner theater. And so it's like they – and they just, like, heap praise on her. I mean, it's such an unbalanced household. It really is. It's really – I feel so bad for Jessica. No, um – if you had read the previous 19 books, you might say that Jessica has it coming. Like, she has <laughs> earned this attitude from her parents by being a monster. Yeah. But there's this moment when Jessica actually expresses her displeasure at this attitude. And her dad is like, somebody's working up a, hell, a heck of a snit. Or let me actually yes. read. Oh. I'm going to read exactly oh. exactly what it is. I'm going to, because I have the power to search my book for the word snit. Um, <laughs> uh, the... Exact words of Ned Wakefield, who has just asked Jessica to help him, if she wants to help him make burgers. Incidentally, earlier in this book, Jessica has this hilarious line when she says that hamburgers are gauche. Yeah. And that she she doesn't know if you've heard of the kind of food that she likes, but it's called hot cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> She's a lot. Yeah. But... When she is in a bad at when she has a bad attitude about like how they think she can't do anything right, <laughs> Mr. Wayfield says, Somebody around here is working herself into a real snit, it seems to me. Which is just so terrible. Like, and here's the thing, Jessica might be a monster, you know, and she might be like really, really hard to deal with, but as parents, your job is to deal with that, not just like love one child more than the other very blatantly. Also, she's 16. Yeah, like, give the girl a break. She's 16, her sister's perfect, and it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I I definitely came out of this, because I remember you telling me about Sweet Valley and how, like, there are some Elizabeth people and some Jessica people, and I came out of this being like, I am with Jessica. Like, Elizabeth can can go jump in a lake. Like, Ooh. She can jump in a lake to try to save yeah. her future ex-boyfriend and then bump her spine exactly. and be paralyzed temporarily. Okay. So let's actually get back into that yeah. storyline. So I was a little bit surprised uh, going back to the Enid and George storyline. Mm-hmm. I have read this book before, but it's been a number of years. Like, probably 
Over 10 years? Yeah. I was surprised at how soon Enid finds out about George and Robin. Mm. It's like chapter nine. Yeah. And so let's talk about this scene because um, it's honestly friggin' offensive. <laughs> In scene nine is the big dance scene. Oh, yeah. Um, and there, I have never been, like, ashamed of Sweet Valley before, thinking about my friend reading uh, one of the books. <laughs> but I was ashamed, like, of, of the book in this time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I mean, I can, I can maybe guess. Like, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of very ableist stuff in this yeah. book. Yeah. I was not expecting this to happen, but this has become sort of a recurring theme in the podcast, mm. is the, is ableism in Sweet Valley. Interesting. And, I mean, ableism in, in mm. the 80s. I mean, it's not like we're free of it now. So right. certainly yeah. in, the, in the 80s, uh, it was worse. Yeah. Or, like, more Just more, like, bla- yeah, more blatant and, like... So Enid is like, there's this big dance coming up. Yeah. And Enid is still not walking. Like, she's yeah. supposed to have been walking by now, but she's still in her wheelchair. She's, like, skipping physical therapy and... She has kind of a bad attitude about yeah. it, too. But she's also just, like, she just doesn't think she can ever walk. Like, she's... But, you know, she wants to go to the dance mm-hmm. anyway. And she also feels like George is slipping away. And maybe yeah. this can rekindle some of the old stuff. So... When Enid shows up, there are these lines. I, I mean, I it, I hesitate to even read them aloud, but... Um, oh, like everybody reacting to her? Yeah. Lila has this line where she says that the guy that she's uh, at the dance with, a guy named Louis Scott, or possibly Louis Scott, almost broke her foot at one the one time they danced. Yeah. And... The book says, speaking of broken feet, Jessica whispered, her eyes glued to the main door of the gymnasium. Look who's coming. The door to the gym had swung open and Elizabeth and Todd came in holding hands. Behind them, George Warren was walking beside Enid in her wheelchair. The whole gym seemed to hush as they entered and Enid, white-faced, stared straight ahead of her as George pushed her forward. How inappropriate, Lila said coldly. Who'd ever dream of showing up at a dance in a wheelchair? What does she think she's going to do all night? Probably keep an eye on George, Jessica giggled. And then Enid does it to herself. She's like, I must look like a real idiot. Who ever heard of a cripple coming to a dance? And I'm just yeah, like... Yeah, oh God, these oh word no. cripples just like so like, oh, this is definitely a couple decades old. It's like, oh, it's so awful. I mean, yeah. just like, Lila is always awful, but this is like a next Well, level. I mean, like that's, I think, like a lot of the stuff in here... I think is actually like honest to what high schoolers are like yeah, sometimes. That's true. That's fair. But then it's like when the book comments on it, like sort of the third person narrator, where I'm always like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like in stuff about Robin's weight, it's like that's something, that's a, an experience that like a lot of girls have in high school of like being conflicted mm-hmm. about their weight. But then for the book to sort of like also shame her, like from mm-hmm. an external sort of third party narrator is really awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same thing with Enid, where it's like there's this whole thing of like, oh, she can't go to a dance if she's in a wheelchair. It's like, of course she can. Yeah, and it's like the book lets her go to the dance, but like, I don't know. I wasn't, this was not the situation where I was thinking, oh, it would be weird for someone in a wheelchair to go to a dance. No. It's not like high schoolers are famous for all the dancing they do no, at dances. No, you, you stand awkwardly by the punch bowl and like, you know, try to work up the courage to ask somebody to dance. So this is where actually I will not defend George because George does a very <gasps> shitty thing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So Enid is like, you know, George, if you want to dance, like, you're welcome to dance. And it's like, 
Okay, that, 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 that'd be fine. If Ina doesn't want to dance and, like, she's doing the nice thing for George, it would have been fine if George had, like, asked Elizabeth to dance, right? Because, like, right. they're friends and, and Elizabeth's there with Todd and, like, you know, that's what you do. You kind of switch cu- couples and stuff. But he asks Robin to slow dance. And that is just not okay. And Enid has already seen George talking to Robin yeah. in, like, kind of a heated way. Yeah. And Enid is actually starting to put some pieces together in a very Holmesian way. She's yeah. like, wait a second. They were, pilot, they were in pilot school together. He's pulling away. She broke up with her boyfriend. Maybe she's heard about the fainting. I can't remember. Yeah, possibly. But she's putting these pieces together and mm-hmm. it's like, uh-oh. And then it's almost like she's testing him a little bit. Yeah. And he falls right into her trap. Yep. Goes to slow dance with Robin. And then you're like, uh-oh. Well, now Enid's going to find her power and she's going to dump him. And nope. <sighs> Instead, she definitely, she like kind of proves everybody right and is like, George, I can't go on without you. I can't, like, I, I, you know, need you. And it's like, I get it, girl. You're in a tough spot. But, like, you know, she's she's kind of, like, tra- trapping him in a way that's really unfair. Like, she knows that he's in love with Robin. And and Elizabeth even has this, like, very human reaction, of like, in her head of, oh, well, if, if Enid knows, then surely she'll break up with George because she, she wouldn't want to be with somebody who doesn't love her, right? right? And it's like... No, she does, apparently. Yeah. So Elizabeth goes to talk to Enid, like, a day and a half later or something. And is Enid is, like, a changed woman, but in a bad way. Yeah. She's, like, isn't walking, and she's, like, given up on the hope of ever walking, basically. And the she even says things like, you know, what do you want me to say? There's no progress. You know, that's what they always say. Yeah. Like, in, in physical therapy, the doctors say, there's no progress. And I just can't imagine moving my legs. And... Elizabeth flat out asks Enid about George and Robin, and Enid's like, well, what George feels is his business. He would never leave me while I was in the wheelchair. So it becomes very clear that, like, the reason Enid is not walking is because she is either consciously or subconsciously trying to trap George in this relationship. (laughs) Yeah. It becomes very clear to everybody in a really weird way. Yeah. Um, So... How clear does it become to everybody? It's so clear that, like, even the doctors seem to think that it's clear. Yeah. (laughs) There's this weird thing where Mrs. Rollins, Enid's mom, Mm -hmm. comes over to talk to Liz. Like, what do you think is going on? Yeah. And Elizabeth, what I don't know what you thought of this, but Elizabeth is, like, dead set on not telling Mrs. Rollins about George and Robin and Enid's, what's going on with Enid psychologically. I, I... I get that to an extent because it's like, I don't know, I think when you're 16, it's like you might get along with your friend's parents and you might be close to them, but you're still not going to like, like talk about your friend behind their back to their parents, you know, it's like you're not really going to like share their business. Like that to me felt like a very teenage move. The only thing that gives me some pause is that at this point in the book, they're already talking about how Enid seems like she's depressed. Yeah. And if they're serious about that, it's like, well, we do kind of need to come together. Totally. Like Enid's health is is what's at stake here. So it seems more important than just like, well, I'm not going to tell on my friend's mom about her boy, her boy troubles. Oh, I definitely think that it's, it's way more important, but it also feels like a natural teenage inclination to be like because it happens a lot it's like in an effort to kind of like protect your friend you're actually kind of putting them in harm's way because you're not you know taking the steps you need to it's a hard thing but then Elizabeth takes it upon herself to fix the problem well (laughs) yes before that let me just say just because this is how blatantly the book puts it yeah um Elizabeth is talking to Mrs. Rollins here she says why does Dr. McGregor think she's still in the wheelchair did he give you any reasons 
Yes, Mrs. Rollins said. He thinks she has a psychological block against recovering. He told me this is far more common than people realize. I guess the mind has mysterious powers in situations like this. It isn't that Enid knows she can walk and won't. She really believes she can't move. What we need to discover is why she won't let herself recover. Which, like, for a book from the 1980s is actually, like fairly progressive from like a mental health standpoint i thought of you for sure when (laughs) uh the line i guess the mind has mysterious powers came up (laughs) like you know for all of the really bad ableism in this book it's like it is it does give credit to like oh like somebody's psychological state can actually affect their physical health in a way that i thought was actually like fairly progressive um that is where the good use of mental health in this book ends. And, yeah. <laughs> so Elizabeth's next move is related to Collins Watch 2018, which is the segment on the show where we keep up with Mr. Collins is all it is. <laughs> um, Mr. Collins, incidentally, was at the dance, uh, too, mm-hmm. uh, looking even more dashing than usual in a white linen jacket and navy blue trousers. So uh, dreamy. And he's with Nora Dalton. Yeah, the French teacher. Yes. And later on, Elizabeth is like, you know who I can talk to about my problems? Mr. Collins. She goes goes to his house. house. And Mrs. Dalton is there. Yeah. And they downplay it. Like, oh, we were just planning for the school school fundraiser. Yeah. It's like, "Mm, okay. Also, Mr. Collins lights a pipe while she's there. (laughs) The whole thing is so weird. Um, Well, and it's it's actually, it's really funny because in in the book that I just finished writing, the English teacher is called Mr. Collins. Yay! And so I was like, reading this, I was like, "Uh, actually, you know, you know what? I've never figured out his first name. He's just make Mr. It Roger. Yeah, sure. Can Yay! Roger? <laughs> I don't think I figured out his first name. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, it's just so bizarre to me that that like this young woman would go to over to her teacher's house when like he is like notably a hot teacher. Yeah, and then like she literally asks him like, "Can I borrow your child?" Yeah, that's pretty much her word for a scheme. <laughs> like, yeah, that is basically his six-year-old child. And it gets worse from there. <laughs> yeah. So um, Elizabeth is like, yeah, you know what? I'm sure. M- McGregor thinks so. Dr. McGregor thinks so. Mrs. Rollins thinks so. Jessica thinks so. And I think so, too. Enid has psychosomatic paralysis. Yes. And instead of just talking to her friend about this, she creates a trap of genuinely sociopathic m- means. So like she, she calls Enid over. And she's like, I have to talk to you about something private. And Enid does not want to come over. She's like, yeah. can you tell me now? Elizabeth's like, no, it's private. Yeah. And it's like, well, tell me at school tomorrow. And Elizabeth is like, what don't you understand about private? You have to go <laughs> yeah. to my house. But then when Enid shows up at Elizabeth's house, in her wheelchair, of course. Yeah. There's a child there. Yeah. Mr. Collins' son, Teddy, who's six years old and is a very strong swimmer. Yep. Uh, is there playing by the pool. Elizabeth, Elizabeth is quote unquote babysitting him. Yeah. Yeah. And the book even acknowledges that Enid was like, like I thought we were going to talk in private. <laughs> yeah. So Elizabeth goes to get some root beer and says to Enid as she leaves, Teddy can't swim, so keep an eye on him. Yeah. And Enid is like, But what? <laughs> yeah. Like, rightfully, like, uh, girl, like, I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Now, Elizabeth's already. Like talk to Teddy about the plan, and yeah. Teddy must be a great actor. A little six year old, he executes the plan perfectly. Yeah, flawless. Like drives his little toy truck into the pool, jumps into the deep end, begins fake drowning, mm-hmm. and then 
you know, the miracle of miracles, Enid is calling out to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth can't hear her. And so Enid jumps into the pool and rescues Teddy. Yeah. Proving that her legs work just fine. Yes. I have a lot of issues with just the mechanics of this. If you haven't been walking for, like, three weeks to a month, and you haven't really been doing physical therapy, like, you don't think you can move your legs, your legs are not going to work the way they normally work. Yeah. That's not how, like... Sciences. So just to be clear, <laughs> the book leaves no doubt. Enid wasn't faking it. Yeah. She genuinely... Believed she be- couldn't walk. Yeah. yeah. And it, all that it grants her is rubbery legs. Yeah. Like, she, like oh, she's wob- a little wobbly, but then that's it. No, it's like, have you ever, like, had your legs really fall asleep and then tried to stand up? Like, you can't. Yeah, well, you the know? muscles would be, like, somewhat atrophied. Atrophied. They would be. I mean, like, if, and particularly if she's skipping physical therapy. I mean, this is the least of my concerns when it comes to this scene. But, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, one one concern is that it seems to me asking a six-year-old to fake drown is a good way to make a six-year-old drown, drown, even yeah. if he's a really strong swimmer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but there's this great moment where apparently Jessica also knows that Teddy's a strong swimmer because when she hears the story of how Enid saved Teddy's life. She's like, Teddy could swim. Yeah. She, like, straight up tells Enid that Elizabeth planned the whole thing, and then Enid is grateful. Yeah, and Elizabeth is like, it's like, da 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 Elizabeth's like, I know, I'm so clever. And the other psychotic thing is that her parents are like, oh, Elizabeth, you're such a clever, wonderful girl for psychologically traumatizing your friends. It's not just her parents, it's like the whole town. Everyone! Everyone throws her in, like, a huge parade, basically. They go out into the world somewhere, and Elizabeth's like, it's shocking how quickly news travels, because every Everybody was cheering and clapping. And then Todd at the end is like, oh my god, I'm dating a hero. And I'm like, Todd, you have <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. This woman is dangerous. Yes. The way to like help your friend psychologically from a from a trauma is not to give them a new trauma. Like that's and that's what this would do to somebody. Like thinking that you are responsible for maybe the life of a six-year-old who's drowning in front of you. You know, it's like that's and then the and then the trauma of like oh my god like I actually could have walked like there's just so many things with this where the fact that Elizabeth like came up with this plan it's like okay she's 16 she's an idiot like that's fine but the fact that like Mr. Collins went along with it and, and gave his son very to this happily. very happily without any kind of questioning. Um, that Mr. Collins went along with it that her parents praised her that like Enid was thankful like makes me feel like. Everybody in this book is existing in a reality that, like, is separate from the reality that Jessica exists in. And that Jessica's, like, actually, like, a real human person who, like, see... Like, that she's, like, in some weird Pleasantville where Elizabeth can do no wrong. And it's, like... I swear to God, like, I, you know, book 21, Elizabeth's gonna murder somebody. And it'll be like, Elizabeth, you hero! (laughs) Well, that is a new... I'm really excited. (laughs) Um, So, uh... So here we are, like, 20 books into the series, yeah. and finally, someone reading one of these books thinks that Jessica is the sane one. <laughs> it's a new... See, it's glad a new day. To, glad to be on the side of the devil for see, this. <laughs> this is why I have a new guest on every week. Yeah. It's partly because I want to subject everyone I know to this <laughs> crazy universe, but also partly because... Uh, everybody gets to bring their own new perspective to that book specifically. Yeah, well, and I think I, I would. I imagine that if I had read the the previous nineteen books, I might feel very differently. But this book does not make Elizabeth look like a normal person. Well, and I can say, even though I um, am such an Elizabeth that I always relate to her, even in her bad moments. Yeah, 
I struggle to relate to her plan with Teddy. Like, I would never. Yeah. Never. Yeah. I I also really get pissed off at this book at how much secret keeping she does. Yeah. Um, And it's all, everybody does all this secret keeping, and it's really, really damaging. Mm -hmm. And the plot, I mean, listeners will be sick of me saying it. Just say what you're thinking. None of this would have happened. Yep. But also... Even as no great fan of Jessica, I really feel for Jessica in this book. Yeah. She is really trying. She is really trying. And, like, even with, um, what, Jean-Pierre Baptiste, the most French of French names ever, her, like, her cooking teacher, you know, she's, like, clearly going to try to seduce him because he's hot and he's, like, maybe, like, 22 or something. He's, like, a little bit older but not insane. And then she finds out that he's married and she, like... Doesn't do anything. Well, that brings us to the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. Yes, let's talk about boys. Oh, 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 a beautiful boy, a beautiful boy. I'm in danger of losing my head. So, Jean-Baptiste is the most important boy in this book, other than George, I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, Todd's there. Oh, yeah. Well, Todd is a given at this point, uh, for now. But, oh, dun-dun-dun. But, um, yeah, Todd is, Todd's important as, like, a tool. Yeah, Todd is, like, like oatmeal. He's just, you know, it's like, we'll sustain you. Not much to write home about. Like, Todd didn't leave yeah. me with much of an impression. There's a lot of firsts in this episode. Uh, the guest, Lauren, says that Jessica's relatable. Marissa says Todd is a tool. But I, I mean it in a sort of, like, yeah. literal sense. Yeah, and, like, a, a literary tool. Uh, yeah, he, like, connects the dots, and he, like, distracts George with conversations about baseball, baseball. team. Like, did you watch the baseball game last night? Yeah. The, they looked really good. Like, they don't name the team. No. Um, but Jean-Pierre, um, is, has a sexy French accent. Mm -hmm. There's a day where, like, Jessica's gonna ask him to the dance. Like, everybody knows that Jessica's, like, delusional, but she's gonna ask him to the dance, even though he is in his early 20s. Yeah. And, um, it says, she had never seen the instructor look so handsome as he did that day. Flashing Jessica a smile, he said, you're a fine beginning chef, Jessica. How would you like to enroll in the intermediate section? I'd love to, Jessica said happily, taking off her apron. Here it comes, she told herself. Now's the moment when he takes a second look at me and realizes that his prize student is actually a beautiful young woman. And it's like, I think that's sweet. Like, Jessica clearly is a little bit delusional. But, like, I, you know, I think that, that a lot of people have experienced that, of having a crush on, like, the camp counselor or, like, yeah. the young teacher. And also, to John's credit, he is the only adult in this book that, like, behaves in a way an adult should <laughs> you know like mr collins just like goes along with this insane plan of elizabeth and at the risk of his son the wakefield's parents are completely insane enid's mom i think is just like she's just lost right she doesn't know what to do my baby yeah. my baby but, like jean pierre never acts inappropriately towards any of his students no. and encourages jessica's like clear skill and passion yes. for this thing that she's doing it's and like, he's he very nice he can't help it that he's sexy yeah it's just the way he is um so jessica ends up going to the dance not with jean pierre but with ken matthews that's right who literally looks like a Ken doll, but based on description. <laughs> yeah, it says that he's uh, blonde, clean cut, and undeniably one of the cutest and most popular guys at school. Ken was captain of the football team, and even if he wasn't as sexy and mysterious as Jean-Pierre, he was a good dancer and a lot of fun at parties. 
And it, but it also describes him at one point in the book as sweet, if a bit dull, which I just love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he sounds like literally a cardboard cutout of like a dreamy high school 80s student, you yeah. know? <laughs> and uh, and poor Robin goes to the dance with, well, poor Robin goes to the dance with poor Stan. This guy named oh, Stan. Oh, poor Stan. The, he's a... There was some, there was, was like, he's he was from a, somewhere else. He's like, fr- he like just yeah. moved there. He's from LA. He's from LA. That's right. I was like, I want to say he's from California. Uh, Stan. His name is Stan or something. I heard Robin had a hard time getting a date and this guy turned up at the last minute. He's a friend of her cousins or something. That's Ken saying that to Jessica. Also, like, w- was this just a thing in the 80s that you like needed a date to go to a school dance? Like, I know that people like have dates for prom, but like just a um, you know what? Dance. When I was in high school, we had some formal dances that you had to have a date for. Really? Yeah. And I actually went with one of my female friends once. Yeah. Um, which, in, like, the late 90s, we thought we were so cool. But, yeah. I mean, like, we were both straight girls. Uh, there were no, like, gray area about it. But there was a sort of a certain amount of pride in being like, Yeah, like, we don't need any man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even need dates to prom. Like, you didn't need a date to, to anything. The, I think that's better. The one, actually, though, I guess the one dance that we, there's uh, St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City um, has, like, a sort of big fundraiser dance every year for, like, a bunch of different high schools. Um, and it's a Sadie Hawkins thing. And so oh. um, you could, you probably could have gone alone, but that was the one where, it's like, the, I, that was the only dance I ever went to in high school where I felt pressure to ask somebody. But it wasn't, like, a date. Like, I just asked one of my male friends to go mm-hmm. with me, you yeah. know? Um, so it was just so funny to me that, like, all of them had to have dates. It was just, like, a funny yeah. little detail. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's one of those things where even as, like, you know, maybe society as a whole, like, progresses however slowly, mm-hmm. uh... I wonder, though, in high school, because when you were first talking about the Sadie Hawkins dance, yeah. my initial reaction was like, oh, I think maybe the time for that kind of thing has passed. But I don't know, when you're in high school, you still have only been alive for, you know, 14, 15 yeah. years. The idea of, like, finding it in yourself to ask a boy to a dance maybe is a good lesson to learn. I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, it is. it can be encouraging for people, I think. But also, it's like, it assumes that you're attracted to the opposite yeah. gender, right? Yeah, and it's, it's like, very, yeah. yeah, I think, like, there, there's probably a way to do Sadie Hawkins where it's not like the girls ask the guys, yeah. but it's like... Because that also depends on a gender binary. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, like, the, I, yeah, there, I feel like it is good to have a, some sort of structure in place to encourage students to, like, ask their crush to a dance, right? Right. But it's, like, but a way to do that that's, like, non-gendered um, and non like hetero is yeah, tricky because nice. it's like I, I think you're right like when you're 14 or 15 it's like you're often not brave enough to just like go up to the person you like and be like do you want to go to this dance with me you kind of need like a little bit of encouragement so yeah, definitely it'd be cool if they like came up with a system that was for that that was not like gendered or or sort of hetero i agree yeah You have kind of already answered this question, but I haven't asked it directly. So the question is, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I guess I'm a Jessica. I mean, I have a feeling that if I read other books, I would be an Elizabeth. But just, like, every move she makes in this seemed so out of line with, like, being a good person and, like, being a good friend. Whereas Jessica, to me, really felt like like, a messy teenager, right? Like, she could kind of be a brat. Like, she, like, was mean and gossipy at times. But, like, she really just, like, 
wanted approval from her parents and like wanted to like ask out the guy that she liked and wanted to like stand by her friends and it just like was bad at it and so I feel like I like Jessica felt more human to me Mm, that's interesting that's a rarity yeah I uh feel you on this particular book Mm -hmm. Jessica's an actress as you are but then Elizabeth's a writer which you also are yeah um you have a sister right I do yeah um, did you ever named Elizabeth? Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there she you goes go. by Betsy. But yeah. Well, did you ever feel jealous of her? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like she's three years old, older than me, and is like always the person that I wanted to be. Um, but it was never like, like we have lovely parents who like never like pitted us against each other or like you know, um, made us feel like you know they were preferring one other over the other and you know like teenagers we had our different problems and stuff and had our her fights and our snipes, but mostly I just yeah I really admired my sister and like wanted to to be her so it's like it was less of a jealousy thing and more of a like wanting to just like st- walk in her footsteps if yeah that makes sense. well yeah. that's I guess. Is a difference between having a sister that's three years older than you versus four minutes older. Right, exactly. A twin, I think, is a very different dynamic. And they're identical. Right. So, um, Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having joining me, on. me today. It's been so fun. It's uh, a thrill. Um, and I think that you've made some very exciting and um, provocative points in this episode. <laughs> Especially, we're going to really uh, shake up the, the world of... Uh, Jessica versus Elizabeth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, is there anything, uh, projects or places where people can check out uh, stuff that you're doing? Yes. Um, you can listen to my podcast, uh, The Bright Sessions, by just searching The Bright Sessions on anywhere you get your podcasts. We're also at Bright Podcast on Twitter. And then you can follow me at Lauren Shippen on all social media. And I always post about what I'm up to. So that'd be the place to, to find it. Yes. And I highly recommend The Bright Sessions and, you know, Thank doing you. that. Um, Lauren, you may, if you're like a super careful listener, you may know that in the first season of the podcast, I thanked Lauren at the end of every episode. Yes. <laughs> because Lauren was very instrumental in helping me plan and get together Sweet Valley Diaries. Lauren, thank you for oh, that. But so unnecessary to thank me because, it, you mean, you did all this on your own. I I just, you know, <laughs> told you about Libsyn. Well, I did uh, stop thanking you in season two. <laughs> good, <laughs> I good. pilot on Tuesday. Um, uh, listeners, one of the things that um, Lauren uh, taught me is that it's helpful if you write a review on iTunes. It's true. And I would never have known it if you hadn't told me. <laughs> uh, so give the podcast a rating or review mm-hmm. on iTunes. Um, and tell a friend about it. Uh, but what's really fun is if you can uh, get involved by following uh, the podcast on Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram or by going to Twitter at Sweet Valley and uh, send me an email at sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Um, I love to hear your stories. Uh, what do you think about Jessica's cooking ability? Um, uh, are you thrilled to finally hear that someone is Jessica. You're not the first Jessica. You're okay. Not. You're not. Um, but yeah, send me a message and um, we'll be back next week for a bonus episode. And uh, until then, uh, thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you for listening. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Cool. I'm excited to talk about this. I have a lot of opinions. Okay, cool. (laughs) 
Um, I just realized that I did not record an intro, so I'll have to I'll have to do that later. But that's okay. <laughs> um, I usually do like a Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where sometimes it's just as well that your boyfriend is cheating on you because <laughs> you guys should have never been together in the first place. Like something, but like more clever than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 